All right, so you know this experience. A friend or a colleague contacts you. They've got a problem. They're coming to you for insight. They're coming to you for answers. And you've got it. You know, you listen to their problem. And within a few minutes, you've got a pretty good sense of what's going on. And you're able to give them advice that really will make a difference in the way that they deal with the situation. And you know that's true because they thank you, number one. But number two, they come back to you day later, week later, month later, and they tell you, hey, you know that advice you gave me was exactly what I needed. You can't even believe what happened. It's perfect. The problem is, it's kind of hard to do that with ourselves, if we're honest. It's way easier to give advice to a friend than give it to ourselves. And yet, we don't always have that friend to go talk to. We don't always have somebody to go ask, hey, how do I get myself out of this situation? Hey, how do I get myself unstuck? Well, today on the show, we're actually going to talk about how to flip that dynamic so that you actually can coach yourself to success. Hi, I'm Joel Miller, Chief Product Officer here at Full Focus, and this is the Business Accelerator Podcast. And today we're talking about self-coaching, particularly how to get yourself out of negative mindsets that are blocking your progress. First, we have a conversation with our founder, Michael Hyatt, and our CEO, Megan Hyatt Miller, about mindset. And this is pretty special because they're talking about their brand new book, Mind Your Mindset, and specifically the self-coaching methodology that they reveal in the book. And then we're gonna shift to a conversation with Ethan Cross. He's a professor of psychology and management at the University of Michigan. And he's the author of a book called Chatter, which is all about the voices in our head and how to deal with them. Ethan is gonna share findings from his own research to help us apply this self-coaching methodology and share an interesting paradox. All right, Ken, do you know what's happening right now? No, I have no idea. <laughs> well, first of all, it's your favorite time of year, finally. It's, yes! We can act, okay, like I give approval for us to actually listen to Christmas music now that Thanksgiving's over. Jingle bells, jingle bells. Yes. Uh, it's our holiday sale here at Full Focus. Oh, And we have better. some really awesome deals going on, especially if for some reason you missed out on our Black Friday deals. This is a great time to get your planners and everything for the new year. And so we have got uh, some awesome deals. So we've got 10% off site-wide. Um, we've got where you can get a free um, Your Best Year Ever vinyl sticker pack for any new planner subscri subscription that you sign up for. So these are great to put on things like your Stanley mug. Wow, you already put them on yeah. your Stanley mug? And if are you got them, them if you got them on Black Friday, these are different. These are these are going to be new for the new year. Uh, but they're great for that. You can also put them on your planner, you can put them on your computer, wherever you want them. But they're great. Good. They're great stickers. We're also doing 25% off courses. Let's go. So specifically, we've been talking a lot about our goal setting course. Um, and this is going to be $75 off and you get a free ticket to your best year ever live with your purchase. So you definitely don't. It's huge. like a crazy, crazy, crazy deal. So you don't want to miss out on that. And your favorite thing, which is our certification program, 
we're doing $800 off of it. And this is a fantastic time of year to get in. Um, We are actually going to be doing a beta group for our new digital planner. Yes, it's going to be fantastic. crazy exciting. So anyways, go to fullfocusstore.com now. Shop our holiday sale. Make sure to use the code HOLIDAY10 to get all these deals and more. So Michael and Megan's new book is Mind Your Mindset. The science that shows success starts with your thinking. It actually comes out at the very end of January, January 31st. And we're going to preview some of the content from that book on this very episode. First, they're going to look at one problem that honestly every business owner has, a bias to action. That's normally a plus unless it prevents us from stopping and thinking about the actions we're taking. So what Michael and Megan do in this conversation is explore three steps to coach your thinking to get better results. If there's one thing we know about business leaders and particularly business owners is that they have a bias toward action. For many of us, our motto is ready, fire, aim. You know, we just want to get into the experience. We want to create that product. We want to start marketing it. We, we launch that program, but we don't give it the thinking it deserves. And because we don't, it impedes our results or at least keeps them from being what they could be. And so if there's one thing we can learn from sort of neuroscience and, you know, the world of brain science is that thinking drives our actions and actions drive our results. Now, if you see that chain or understand that chain, the best way to impact the results is to change your thinking. That's where it all starts. And so we want to talk about the three steps to coaching yourself to success. And this whole idea of self-coaching, which by the way, the first time I ever heard that phrase was from Brooke Castillo. So I want to give credit where credit's due. But self-coaching is probably the most important coaching that any of us will ever do. But it's coaching about our thinking, coaching about our mindset. And so in our new book, Mind Your Mindset, the book that Megan and I are releasing here in a few short days, we talk about the three steps to basically coaching yourself to success and improving your results. So Megan, let's dive right into this. What's the first step? Well, the first step is to identify the story that you're telling yourself. You know, it's funny because um, thinking is kind of a clinical or sanitized term, but the way our thinking shows up in our own brains is in the form of stories. You know, we're making meaning of things. We're we're trying to understand why did that not go the way we wanted to? Why did we miss this goal? Why did we not hit our budget? Why did that hire not work out? Why did that product not launch successfully? Or, I mean, you could have the converse, which would be positive, but in this case, it, it tends to be negative. And our brain is so oriented toward protecting us and making sense of the world that it's always going to be constructing these stories. And if you feel like that narrative in your head is a little on the negative side, congratulations on being human. Your brain is doing exactly what it knows how to do. The good news is, is that it doesn't have to stay there. And gosh, I saw this in absolute 
3D this weekend. I was taking uh, our son Jonah, who's a brand new golfer, to a golf clinic at a local uh, club that that teaches this stuff to kids. And it was the very first time that he had gone from learning discrete skills, and I won't even try to name what those are because I'm not a golfer and I don't understand it. You would, Dad. We have um, to but, remedy this. Yeah, I know. I know. It's it might be on my list of goals for this year. Uh, but he he was playing in a scramble. Uh, with some veterans. It was a really cool thing that they were doing. And for the first time ever, he was playing the course and not the whole course. I think they did maybe four or five holes or something like that. And he got in the car. I, I dropped him off and came back to get him. And he got in the car and I was all excited to hear about it. And I said, how did it go? And he said, terrible. And I was like, oh no, what happened? And he said, mom, I mean, every time I hit the ball, I'd either miss it or it wouldn't go straight. I mean, it was so humiliating. There were kids way younger than me that were way better. I'm just terrible at golf. That's a story. That's a story. The facts were that he swung and wasn't able to make contact with the ball or whatever the way you're supposed to say that is. And that he wasn't able to hit the ball where he wanted it to go. Those were like the just boring old facts. But the story that he told himself about that was that he was no good. Now, never mind the fact that this kid's never played a golf course before. He's just been to these clinics where they focus on one discrete skill. But that was his story. And it's so easy to identify in a kid because, you know, they're, they're not very sophisticated. You can just see it. But we do this all the time as adults and especially as business owners who are trying big things that don't always work out. Yeah, totally. And those stories control kind of the reality we experience. And here's the thing about stories. You know, I was reading a a study the other day that said up to 50% of our memories, and I think this is a low estimate, are false. Right. In other words, we made it crazy. Yeah, we took took some facts and we basically knitted a sweater. Mm -hmm. And that sweater is called our memory. And it's called a story. And it may or may not be true. And I tell you, the older I've gotten, the more I realized uh, how important it is to identify those stories because those controlling narratives impact everything. Well, they drive the actions that we take. That's right. So in my example about Jonah, he's, he said to me, I don't think I want to play golf anymore. Because the story in his head what is, was that he wasn't good. And so he was ready to quit playing golf because his very first time playing on a real course didn't go well. And that happens all the time for us as business owners. Again, we're just a little more sophisticated about it. So it's a little harder to identify these stories, but they're at least that powerful, if not more. So for example, as a business owner, you may think to yourself, I'm really terrible at hiring the right people. Mm-hmm. And and maybe if you really were to look at that, it's just one or two experiences that created that story, but that story is now becoming a narrative that's inhibiting your results. Or maybe you think, I'm not good on camera because one time you were on camera and you fumbled a little bit, kind of like Jonah at the golf course. Mm-hmm. And so you think, well, I'm just not any good at being in front of a camera. Mm-hmm. And so again, it's important to identify those stories because there is thinking behind every action and all the results. And until we can identify those stories and do something about them, they're going to control us at an unconscious level. 
And I think this is where we have to take a deep breath and wake up to our lives and see these stories for what they are, but to identify them as the first step. Yep. And the truth is they're totally subjective and they create a bias in our brain against what we actually want to discover. Meaning that when you think something like, you know, I'm not any good at managing the financial part of my business because maybe you struggled with cash flow at one point, then the solutions to solve that problem of I'm not very good at business finance are going to be very limited or not helpful. But if you had a different kind of story, which we're going to talk about in a few minutes, your brain would go looking for different kinds of answers. And all of a sudden, the quality of the answers that you would find, the resources you would discover would be vastly different, which is then going to dramatically alter the kind of results that you get. So that's part of the connection here of why these stories matter, because your brain tries to validate the stories that it's telling itself. And so when you're telling a disempowering story, it's going to look for evidence of that everywhere. It's going to look to further uh, instantiate that. And it's going to be very difficult to get a different outcome than the one you're getting, unless it's just worse. So we've got to be on top of identifying these stories. Before we move to the next step, let me say this. This is how powerful stories are. Stories will shape your results. They're more important than anything else you do. And if you've got the wrong story, you're going to get the wrong results and you're going to get the wrong results consistently. Which leads us to step number two, which is to interrogate. So step number one is to identify. Step number two is to interrogate those stories. So quick story here. So one night, Gail and I were kind of reviewing our days. So typically we lay in bed and talk about our days and try to identify our wins and pray together, then we go to sleep. So she said to me, she said, how was your day? And I said, it was terrible. And she said, well, tell me about it. So I kind of went through it with focus on this one thing that happened. And I, I don't remember what it was, but she said to me, she said, you know, she said, I, I want to be empathetic, but let me tell you what this sounds like to me. It doesn't actually sound like you had a terrible day. It sounds like you had a terrible 20 minutes. <laughs> it sounds like you had some pretty good things happen. And if you were to take the 20 minutes out, it would have been a great day. And I mean, that was like a revelation. I was thunderstruck by that. And I said, you're exactly right. I've created a whole narrative about today based on my selective picking and choosing of the facts and my assembly of those facts into a story. And so to interrogate the story means we begin. Anytime we see a result that we don't like or experience a result that we don't like, the first place to begin is to interrogate our thinking. What was the story that was behind this result? Well, back to my example about Jonah, we started talking in the car. It was just the two of us on our way back home. And we started talking about, okay, why do you think that happened? After he said, you know, I'm just not any good. I don't think I want to do this. And he said, well, I think my clubs are too short. Now, I don't know, again, I don't know anything about this, but he's had a growth spurt recently. And I said, Jonah, that could absolutely be true. I mean, I don't know, but I'm assuming if you have clubs that are too short, that would make it pretty hard to hit the ball in the direction that you'd want to hit and get it all the all the pieces to line up. And, and he was like, yeah, maybe I need some new clubs. And I said, yeah, maybe you do. 
And then I said, the other thing is you've never played on a course before. You know, you've learned all these little pieces, but now you have to pull it together. That's more complicated. Maybe you just haven't learned how to do that yet. And I was reminded of Shananiqua's book. I think it's called, I guess I haven't learned that yet, which is she moved to New York City. You know, she was trying to adapt to city life. And there were all these kind of moments where they, they were sort of awkward, where they were learning to do new things in the city. And she just developed this little mantra with her family when they would be discouraged because they got on the wrong train or, you know, whatever, and uh, would say, oh, I guess we haven't learned that yet. In other words, you're not wrong. You just haven't learned that yet. And That's so good. And he was like, yeah, I mean, he, he, you know, he, he's a kid, so he's a little slow to come around on this. But I can kind of see the wheels start spinning like, oh, maybe I'm not bad. Maybe I, this is not a question of innate talent. It's just a question of skill that I, I haven't learned. And I said, Jonah, you know, part of the reason people like golf is because it's hard and it's complicated. And it, it's something you can work on for your entire life. And you're just at the very beginning. You just started playing this year. Your, your uh, instructors have actually told us that you have some natural talent, but also it's going to be difficult. This is your very first time. You know, I remember when I was riding horses and I got thrown off of horses all the time when I was your age. And that was my sport. And that was just part of learning how to stay on. You know, it didn't mean I wasn't any good at it. It just meant that, you know, I was doing something difficult. And so I think we have to do that for ourselves. What else could it be besides this? What else could the explanation be that doesn't shut you down and disempower you for this thing that happened? And as it turns out, there probably are all kinds of explanations that would be far more empowering and set you up to find a solution to that thing than to just cause you to quit or check out or give up. You know, I think part of this is so insidious because we buy into the cultural myth of you know, sort of the the natural maid or the natural talent yeah. that people have. So I think, oh, she's a natural singer or she's natural when it comes to finance. And what we don't see is the 10,000 hours that were behind that, true. you know, the practice that got to that. You know, I, I've had people say to me before, Megan, you probably have two in your coaching. It's like, man, you're just, you're just naturally good at business. no. <laughs> I made 40 years of mistakes. Right. I'm just, I've just made more mistakes than you have. But that story, again, like Jonah, kind of controls the narrative. Mm-hmm. People try things once or maybe twice, and then they give up. They say, well, I guess I don't have the talent. I don't have the ability. I don't have the X factor. I don't have that thing that would enable me to succeed. And this will really screw up your business. So anything you're going to try you got to be willing to do poorly at, at first if you're going to improve and get really great at it. I mean, I think of some of the early product launches that we did, <laughs> Megan, in this business. I was just thinking about that. I mean, we had, you know, failures, things that fell apart, you know, in the first 10 minutes of the, the launch. Over and over. Over and over. But we were just doggedly persistent and stayed with it. And over time, we got better. And now... We still have a lot of lessons to learn, but here's the cool thing that's happened is the more you experience better results, that too shapes your story. Mm -hmm. So this is the crazy thing. The story is going to impact the results. You know, if I think I'm a bad golfer, my behavior will live up to my expectation. Mm -hmm. And one of my best friends who sadly is gone now, Megan, you knew him. 
but oftentimes when he when he would make a bad putt or a bad drive, he would say to himself, "You idiot! You can never hit it right." Mm. This was he was talking to himself out loud, mm. and I got to hear it. Mm. And 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 I wanted to say, well, if you say so, because guess what? Every time he said that out loud, he reinforced that inner story, huh. and he better guaranteed a bad result because it reinforced it. You know, when you were talking about products a minute ago, I was remembering, this is, gosh, I don't even remember how many years ago. It was probably almost 10 years ago. We launched a your best year ever goal-setting course for leaders. We were like, hey, we know about leadership. This is going to be awesome. You know, this Brilliant idea. This is brilliant. We know we're speaking to leaders. That's our audience. This is going to be fantastic. So we recorded it. I can remember where we recorded it. Even now, I can walk around that set in my mind. And we launched it, expecting it to be as successful as the one we had done for individuals. We literally got one order. And I think that might have been our own team checking the checkout process. <laughs> and we, we were just so mystified, like, is there an error? What's wrong? You know, and it's so interesting because at that moment, so th that's a fact. I mean, the fact was we got one order and it might not even have been a legitimate order. Um, but the story that we could have told ourselves is nobody wants to learn anything about achievement in business, which would have been silly. I mean, the data would have been, you know, against that. But we could have thought that, or nobody respects our authority in this space. But we've since gone on to build an incredibly successful coaching program with hundreds and hundreds of clients that we have helped set and achieve big goals for their business so they can scale their business without compromising their most important values. And had we have chosen a different story, now, in fairness, I'm not sure we were super conscious about this. Somehow we, we were just, despite you know ourselves, we were able to tell a story that was empowering, but that could have directed the entire future of our business. When we came up with the idea of starting a coaching program, we could have shut it down because we, we could have said, well, I don't think anybody would want that. Remember that course we launched that only sold one thing. So you see how this story thing can affect your results. You know, this is something you just said, Megan, is something we say in the book, mind your mindset, but there's a difference between what happened and what it means. Mm -hmm. There are the facts, and then there's the interpretation that we layer upon the facts. And so it could be about anything. You know, I increasingly find that uh, there are things that I grew up with that shape my narrative about myself, about my parents, about my siblings, about my life, that as I interrogate them and try to separate the facts from my interpretation, there are thousands of interpretations that I could have layered upon that same set of facts. And our friend Bob Goff says, always look for the least creepy explanation. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's good because oftentimes we go to the most dramatic explanation. Mm -hmm. You know, that, that person uh, doesn't look at us in quite the way that we expect. Maybe they're, they're sidetracked or they're working through a problem or something just happened that's stolen their attention. And we created a narrative like it's about us. Right. Like they don't like us or they're displeased with us or whatever. And honestly, it has nothing to do with us. 
So there's a fact and then there's a meaning. And the essence of the interrogation process is to get in there and separate that so that you have the ability, and this is the third step, to imagine a completely different story or a different interpretation. Right. But, you know, in order to shake loose that story that's disempowering, we've got to do the interrogation step because otherwise there's going to be an internal conflict between that story that feels so true that's disempowering. Like Jonah saying, "I'm, I'm just not good at this. That feels very true in that moment. And unless we shake that loose with the interrogation process, we're not really positioning ourselves to imagine something better. And so while the interrogation process may be the most unfamiliar part of this process or uncomfortable, it's really critical to complete that before you move on to the imagine step so that it, it uh, can take root, so to speak, in our psyche. But when we get to this point, now we want to imagine okay, what story do I want to tell? What story is going to help get me closer to where I want to be? What story is going to close the gap between where I am and where I want to be? And so, uh, you know, as Joan and I were talking about this experience he had in the scramble, uh, we, we were talking about the idea that, you know, maybe you just haven't had enough practice yet. And maybe you will be a great golfer once you've had enough practice. And maybe what we need to do is ask granddaddy, that's what he calls you, maybe we need to ask granddaddy to take you out where it's not a competition, you're not so worried about other people, and you just have the opportunity to practice on a real course with somebody who you know you feel safe with and not worried about what they're thinking, and you feel free to just learn without the pressure. And he was like, yeah, that would be fun. And it was just so interesting to see what happened when he started to imagine a different outcome, his set of experiences might not mean what his original story told him, that there might be an alternative narrative that would be hopeful. I think it's important to know, too, that once we reimagine the story, sometimes it takes a while for the results to catch up. Yes. Right? Because it takes practice. And I'm, I'm not a big fan of coming up with affirmations or stories that are a stretch to the imagination. Like, here's what I wouldn't advise Jonah to do. Um, I wouldn't say, hey, one of the things that you can do is that every day say to yourself 10 times, I'm the world's greatest golfer. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because your subconscious won't believe it. Mm-hmm. But if you were to say something a little bit more authentic, like, you know, I'm learning to be a really good golfer. Mm-hmm. Or even I'm learning to be a great golfer. Or, or I'm, I'm really le- proud of myself for how I'm learning how to golf. Yes. And and part of the golfing journey is learning to be resilient. Mm-hmm. The, the guys that succeed on the pro circuit are not the guys that hit every shot perfectly because that is a league of no one. It's the guys that are the most resilient that can shake it off and not take that experience or that result and make it part of their narrative. You know what I'm saying? So like they hit it into the woods and it'd be easy to say, well, there's more proof that I suck. And what we're saying is no, you know, just shake that off. What is your real identity? Oh, well, I'm going to learn from that. I can see that I left my club face a little bit too open and I can correct that. I think what you're really saying is that the people that succeed at golf and life are the people who become conscious of their stories 
and can tell a better story when things don't go the way they want so that they're able to successfully move on and try again. And this is a powerful strategy for resilience because anybody who you ever talk to who has been successful over the long haul will have a mile long list of failures and disappointments and things that did not work out as part of kind of uh, their battle scars. And they'll be proud of those things because what they figured out was how to talk to themselves. That's what really makes the biggest difference in success is how do you talk to yourself? Not what thoughts pop into your brain because we probably should have said this at the beginning. These negative stories, they just pop into our brain. It's just our brain doing what it's supposed to do. You're never gonna stop the negative thoughts or the the thoughts that are um, self-incriminating. That's just part of being a human, it's okay. But the difference maker is can you then respond back in a way that ultimately is empowering or not? You know, all of us have living inside our head at least one narrator who's telling us what everything means in real time as it happens. And the secret to being successful is to realize that and then to consciously edit the script Mm-hmm. that the narrator's using and change it. And that's what we teach in Mind Your Mindset, is that how you can take control of your results by taking control of your thinking. And it makes all the difference. If your narrator right now is telling you that you are interested in this book, that's because you are. And if you want to find out more about Mind Your Mindset, go to mindyourmindsetbook.com. The pre-order window is still open. So if you are interested in learning more and getting some great bonuses, go ahead and pre-order the book at mindyourmindsetbook.com. After the break, we'll be back with Ethan Cross to discuss a paradox that if you can get your head around, it'll make a big difference. Marissa, I cannot tell you how excited I am for your best year ever live coming up January 5th. Yes, I'm so excited too. I can't wait. Yes, this is the event that you would want to come attend if you're just like, man, I want to look at how well did I do in the past, but I also want to set myself up for success to have, like we call it in the title, your best year ever. This is the event you want to be at. We have thousands of people coming to this event yes. already. And you and I will be emceeing this event. Yes. So there's going to be a lot of fun, a lot of excitement to come join us to make it a great year for you. Yes. Now, in order for you to receive it, all you have to do is buy the full focus goal setting course and you get a ticket to your best year ever. Yes. And the best part is that that course is 25% off right now. So uh, you're going to get a discount and a ticket to the live event, which is normally $197. That's a killer so deal. It's a killer deal. It's a no brainer in my opinion. Um, but definitely join us. It's going to be so much fun. January 5th, it's totally virtual. So no matter where you are in the world or, um, you know, whether you can get on a plane or not, don't worry about it. You don't have to, you can do this from the comfort of your own home and we'll be right there. Yeah. And just imagine having your goals already set for the entire year and a plan to execute them. Yeah. That's worth all the money that you can. And the best part, it's a free event for you if you buy the Full Focus Goal Setting Course. Yes. 
All right. Well, we would love to see you there. So make sure to go to fullfocusstore.com and take advantage of this deal. We'd love to see you at your best driver live. All right. Let's now jump into our conversation with Ethan Cross. Just a reminder, he is the author of the book Chatter and also a professor of psychology and management at the University of Michigan. I asked Ethan about the conversation that pretty much all of us have running in our head all the time. Like, what's the neurological basis for that? Well, we all have an inner voice. Our inner voice is refers to our ability to silently use language to reflect on our lives. And I like to think about it as a kind of Swiss army knife of the human mind that lets us do many really important things. So your inner voice helps you at the most basic end of the spectrum keep information active for short periods of time. So Joel, you look like you are of a similar vintage uh, as me. Maybe hopefully I'm not insulting you you there. Um, but uh, but I, I'm going to guess like you prior to cell phones, you would like memorize a phone number, right? You'd repeat it in your head. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yep. Right. So that's using your inner voice, your inner voice, part of what we call our verbal working memory system. This is a basic system of the human mind. And what it involves doing is keeping nuggets of verbal information active for really short periods of time. So if you go to the grocery store and you go down the second aisle, it's always a second aisle for me. And I think to myself, oh, what did my wife tell me to get? And then I, I rehearse the list in my head. I go down, cheese, milk, yogurt, right? That's your inner voice. We're, we're using it to keep information active. That's one thing it helps you do. Inner voice helps you simulate and plan. Before I have Before I give presentations, I will go for a walk around the hotel lobby or neighborhood, and I'll go through what I'm going to say during my talk from beginning to end. I'll rehearse it. I won't just rehearse it, often verbatim. I'll then simulate a few different possibilities for how the talk is going to end. Usually, I simulate the worst case scenarios, which often involve an incredibly obnoxious looking individual from my childhood uh, asking me a question in front of everyone else, and then me responding with this totally out of sync with reality, uh, courageous response that I get a huge applause from the audience, right? What am I doing there? I'm using my inner voice as a tool to prepare myself for different eventualities. People report doing this before dates, interviews, presentations. That's another thing it does. Let's talk about exercise and performance. Many people use their inner voice to motivate themselves along. When I'm exercising and not wanting to be doing the things that the aversive, obnoxious, high-intensity interval training instructors telling me to do each morning, I'm, I'm, I'm talking to myself, right? Uh, come on, man, you've got this. Three more sets. Three, two, one, three more reps. I'm saying things to the instructor that I wouldn't say to their face, but in my head, I'm shouting all sorts of expletives. Why don't you try doing blah, 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 right? So that's me using my inner voice too. And then finally, uh, we use our inner voice to, to tell stories, Things happen in our lives that don't go the way they want. We reflexively engage this tool to make meaning out of the situation. Why did this happen? What can I learn from the situation? We use our inner voice to tell those stories. And those stories that we tell ourselves, they they shape our understanding of who we are. They impact our identity. So this inner voice really gets at the core of who we are and how we think about ourselves. Those are just a few examples of the 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 wonderful functions that your inner voice serves, you would not want to live life without this inner voice. I want to take two thoughts you just gave in that explanation and, and put them together for an additional question, which is 
when we think about performance and then you think about stories, those two concepts, we're often telling ourselves a story about how we performed in the past, and then we're using that as a way to think about how we might perform in the future. Tell us a little bit more about that dynamic and maybe where it can go wrong. Well, the stories we tell ourselves impact what happens next. And I think that's a crucial point for us to, to recognize. And so if you start telling yourselves the wrong kind of stories, it can put you down one kind of trajectory that can spell doom and gloom for many things that we care a lot about in our lives. I've often described our inner voice run amok, which is what I call chatter. And I'll tell you a little bit about why I use that phrase in a second. But if the stories we tell ourselves take this dark turn, that can undermine our ability to think and perform at work because we are overthinking things. We are experiencing paralysis by analysis. We can't focus. It can cause friction in our social relationships because we start telling ourselves stories that make us feel bad and we ruminate about those stories over and over again and then we share them with other people over and over again. We talk their heads off about this stuff and there's only so much they can listen to before we push them away. So those bad stories can affect our relationships and then they can also affect our mental and physical health. You know, the mental side of things is something that many people reflexively often understand, right? If you're if you're if you have a, an internal narrative that is negative and and repetitive, if you are looping over and over negative information in your head and it's bringing you down, like people understand how that can often sink their moods, lead them to experience anxiety, sadness, and so forth. But what we've also learned is that it can impact your physical health. And I, I think this is really fascinating and important for listeners to, to understand. Many people think that experiencing stress is toxic. Like I'll, I'll give presentations and I'll say, has anyone ever heard that stress kills? Every single hand in the audience goes up. What I like to clarify is that that is not exactly true. Your ability to experience stress is a gift of evolution. Um, the fact that you have this system that instantly prepares you to deal with a threat in your environment is really, really helpful. There's nothing wrong physiologically, biologically, from experiencing a stress, a stress reaction in response to a threat that then subsides. What makes stress toxic is when your stress response is triggered and then remains tonically elevated over time. It just remains active. That exerts a wear and tear in your body that predicts things like problems of cardiovascular disease, inflammation, and even certain forms of cancer. This is precisely what these negative conversations that we have with ourselves are chatter that's what chatter does because we experience an event that doesn't go the way we want it to go. We don't just experience that moment, learn from it and move on. We experience it and then we keep replaying it in our heads over and over and over and over again. And that keeps that stress response elevated over time. So to answer your question very succinctly, when those conversations go the wrong way, they can be quite dysfunctional for, I think, many of the things that most of us care a great deal about in this life. Why are those internal conversations that chatter? Why is it so negative so often? Well, first of all, I, I don't know that it often is as negative as often as, as we think it is. And the reason for that, the reason why I want to give that um, qualification is there's this wonderful finding in, in psychology that I just love. 
and it can be summed up as bad is stronger than good. So the bad stuff, it just screams out at us and it captures our attention a whole lot more than the good stuff. I can, I can give, and this is a true story. I can like, um, teach one of my, my big lecture courses here at the university to 300 plus students. And at the end of the semester, I can get 298 glowing reviews and then two negative ones, two moderately negative ones. And I'm, I'm effectively on the couch with a cold compress over my head, bemoaning the fact that I have these two negative reviews. Oh my God. Right. So that, that's really the embodiment of this principle. Um, Danny Kahneman won a Nobel Prize for this kind of work for this idea of loss aversion. We're, we're more sensitive to the negative stuff in our lives and the positive stuff. None of that should diminish the experience that we often have when these negative conversations we have with ourselves um, perk up. The reason they can feel so terrible is because they are all consuming. As, a, as an example of that, uh, you know, I'll ask you, Joel, have, have you ever tried to read a book when you're worried or ruminating about something and you read five or six pages and under oath you would swear that you've read the words, but if someone asks you what you just read, you don't remember a damn thing you've read? 100%. Right? Like pretty common experience. Yeah. What's happening there is we only have so much attention and if all of the attention is devoted to the chatter, which is what often happens and for, for understandable reasons, you've got a problem in your life. So you're using all of the resources we possess to solve it, but you're not making progress. Well, that's all you could think about. You're zoomed in on that issue and it, it really just crowds out everything else. And when I say everything else, I'm talking about the people we love and care about, the work we need to do. And that's not a really great feeling. And so uh, I think that's one way of answering your question. Focusing on business owners and other leaders for a moment, how does this commonly show up, this the negativity side of it, or, or even, even if that's just part of it for us? How does this show up most often? Well, it can affect us in a variety of ways. It's kind of like chatter is like, and I've used the metaphor uh, or analogy of an octopus that wraps its tentacles around us in a variety of different ways that can harm us and that are directly relevant to the organizational context. So it consumes our attention, makes it really hard for us to focus. And I think the, the consequences of not being able to focus in the workplace are, are pretty obvious and clear. It can create another performance deficit in the form of paralysis by analysis. We start overthinking decisions and behaviors that we normally are capable of executing without thinking. So much of what we do in the workplace, we just do it. We don't think twice about it. When I get up there on stage, I've given thousands of presentations. Yeah, thousands, I think it's fair to say. And I don't think about whether I'm using my hands too much or too little or whether I'm smiling enough or pacing the room. So I just do it because I've learned how to automatize that behavior to have a particular kind of positive consequence. If I'm experiencing chatter about that performance, now I'm zooming in on all the details. Am I moving enough? Am I smiling enough? And once we do that, that's how you have professional athletes choking under the spotlight. That's how you have surgeons botching procedures. That's how you have presentations to the board run the wrong way. So, you know, those are two ways that it can present. It can create friction in our relationships with other people, our colleagues um, who don't want to listen to us talking about these things over and over. It can also make us poor 
supporters of the people who we care about because they come to us with their problems at work that they want to work through, but we're busy dealing with our own crap and so we don't think about it. And then finally, um, it, it can undermine your health and well-being, which, which you know, there was a recent statistic that chatter in the form of, of depression and anxiety, which can easily spill into, I think the statistic was like a trillion dollars in terms of the impact that that has on the global economy. There's definitely a trillion in there. Whether it's one or more, I can't tell you, but absolutely incredible. trillion yeah. in terms of lost, lost productivity because people are, are not showing up for work. And so this was a, a report by the Lancet and the World Health Organization. So, you know, pick your poison, thinking, performance, relationships, health, productivity. Um, these issues are directly relevant to not just living a good life, but also performing well and being good, good employees and employers. One concept in the book I was pleased to finally have a name to go uh, with was Solomon's paradox. Can you tell yeah. us tell us what what's what is Solomon's paradox? I love I love this um, this finding. It's one of my favorites. Um, so Solomon's paradox is named after the Bible's King Solomon, who is world renowned and historically renowned for being one of the wisest people in history. People would travel all over to receive his advice on how to deal with thorny issues. If you dig into King Solomon's personal history, though, what you find is that he was really good at advising others, but when it came to his own life, he made a rash of terrible decisions. He got involved in what I like to call love octagons, and you know, and by that, what I mean is not like mixed martial arts, but like not three women, but eight women, and they all wanted different things from him, and it ultimately contributed to his kingdom's demise. And what his story and, and many other people's stories like Abraham Lincoln and others attest to is the fact that we are much better at giving advice to other people than we are giving and taking advice from ourselves. This is a really powerful phenomenon in my view, right? Like think about the, like, I'm going to guess Joel that there have been moments in your life where you have said things to yourself, you have thought things that were kind of like out of touch with reality and maybe dark and catastrophic. And I'm going to say this because most human beings have mm -hmm. these kinds of intrusive thoughts at times. Would you dare give the same, like the things you were saying to yourself, would you ever say those things to your, your best buddy or even your worst enemy if they mm. came to you for advice? No. You wouldn't do it, right? Like you wouldn't do it. So this is, an, I think, a really important insight to have as we live our lives because it really sets up how you can manage your chatter. And it, it identifies a lot of different pathways for how you can get help for rerouting the conversations we have with ourselves when we find them taking the wrong turn. One one tool that we've studied, and I, I will admit I, I use this myself, this is my first line of defense when it comes to chatter, is something we call distant self-talk. I'll start trying to give myself advice like I would give advice to a best friend. Mm -hmm. And I'll, I'll use language, the structure of language to help me do it. I'll actually use my own name and the second person pronoun you to coach myself through a problem. All right, Ethan, how are you going to manage this situation? It may sound silly, and I want to give a caveat. I don't advocate doing this out loud in public. You don't want to talk to yourself using your name while walking down a public street or in like the lobby of your building. But silently in your own head, this can be a really useful tool because what happens here is this. Most of the time we use names and words like you, we use those parts of speech 
we think about and refer to other people. So in your mind, the link between those parts of speech and thinking about others is really tight. So when you use your name and the pronoun you to try to work through a problem, it's essentially shifting your perspective. It's putting you into the advice giving mode. It's like you're talking to another person. And that makes it much easier to give ourselves sound, objective, chatter, fighting advice. So you can be the wise Solomon instead of the foolish Solomon. That's right. That's right. You're out of the octagon and you're in the throne and you are doling out good advice. How can business leaders hedge against this paradox, the Solomon paradox? Well, I think simply being aware of it is step one. I think there is is um, great um, value that comes from simply understanding how the human mind works when it comes to emotions and, and making difficult decisions that often arouse them. So awareness of this paradox is crucial, but then having actual tools you can use to diffuse it. And, and, and so I just gave you one. We've actually done experiments where we give people a really difficult problem. In one case, it's happening to you. And in the other case, we frame the problem as happening to another person. And then we have people generate advice about how you should navigate or this other person. And we then code the advice for how wise it is. And you can actually define wisdom. Um, it has multiple features, recognizing the limits of your own knowledge, having some humility, recognizing that the world is constantly in flux, things are likely to change, perspective taking. Those are a few of the features that go into it. People generate wiser feedback, wiser advice when they think about the problem as happening to someone else and the self. In other experiments, we add a third condition where we have you think about your own problems using your name. All right, Ethan, how should you manage the situation? And what we find there is that completely eliminates the gap between reasoning about someone else's problems and reasoning about your own. Wow. When you when you use your name, you're in that more sound advice-giving mode that that basically diffuses what drives Solomon's paradox. So what you just described, distance self-talk, some of these other tools, these are ways of self-coaching. Can you give us, you know, like one or two examples of some other tools for self-coaching? Yeah. Um, well, first, let me just say there are like close to 30 tools out there and I won't, mm -hmm. I won't tr attempt to give you all of them right now very quickly because I've tried it before. I sound like Mighty Mouse. It's not a good, <laughs> good look. And, and really, I think like the, the take home here is I think the key here is to familiarize yourself with all the tools that are out there and then start experimenting with them. They're, most of them are really simple things you could do. They're all science backed. And we know that different tools work for different people in different situations. So the real key is to find the unique combinations. I'll give you a couple of things that I do personally. Um, I'll do distance self-talk. I'll, I'll do something called mental time travel or temporal distancing. When the chatter strikes, all we think about is that issue. And we often lose sight of the fact that our chatter comes often with intensity, but it eventually goes. Most things in our life eventually fade with time. Um, time is what some scientists call, it's a piece of our psychological immune system. It helps us hmm. repair emotional wounds. We lose sight of that when we're experiencing chatter and simply reminding yourself of that. The fact that your reactions are unstable, they'll eventually pass with time. That can be really useful for giving people hope that things will get better. So there's a really easy way to do that. Just how, think about how are you going to feel about this problem tomorrow? 
next week, next year, 10 years from now. That broadens your perspective in a way that really helps us recognize that as bad as this thing is, we will eventually get through it. It'll get better. And that 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 can be very useful for um, helping people rise to the occasion. Um, another pe- thing people can do, very simple, I must admit I was blind to this before I reviewed the science, create order around you. So I'm the kind of guy where when things are going well in my life, it's like there's a, you know, the clothes are all over the place. There's a trail from the bathroom to my office downstairs. When chatter strikes, everything is pristine, is put away where it needs to be. Um, Why do I do that? I do that because when you're experiencing chatter, we feel like our thoughts and feelings are taking control. We don't have agency. And that's not a good feeling to have because human beings are... you know, for lack of a better term, we are all at some level control freaks. And what I mean by that is we like to know that the world is predictable, that we have, we have control over what's going to happen. And, 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 you know, knowing that we can exert some agency. Um, So when you, when you create order around you, that gives you this sense of control that compensates for the lack of control we feel when we're experiencing chatter. And so that's why you see so many people like myself spontaneously cleaning and organizing when they're struggling. Don't wait to do it if the chatter is there. Like now's the time. Take a couple minutes to put things in order. Final thing I'll say on the, you know, things you could do on your own real quick, consult your chatter board. And, and, and what I mean by that is this. Many people have the intuition that when they're struggling with chatter, talking it out with someone can be useful. It's not exactly that simple. In fact, it's it's a lot more complicated. There's been a lot of research on this. And what we've learned is that simply venting your feelings to someone else, just getting it out, that can be really good for strengthening the friendship and relational bonds between people. It feels good to know that there's someone else who's willing to listen to us. But if all you do in a conversation is vent about what happened... You leave that conversation, you feel good about the person you just spoke with, but you're just as upset as when you started because you haven't done anything to to work through and problem solve. The best kind of conversations when it comes to chatter are conversations that do two things. First, the person you're talking to, they do take the time to listen, learn about what happened to you. They empathize, they validate. But at a certain point in the conversation, they start helping broaden your perspective. They start working with you to problem solve, to help you find that solution. That is the art of being a good chatter advisor to someone else, right? Listening, but then also shifting to advise at the appropriate time. Um, And so that's one take home from the science. The second take home is if you're the one experiencing the chatter, think really carefully about who in your life serves this chatter advisory role? It's not everyone. I'll often do an exercise with people when I do workshops. I'll have them list before I tell them about any of this. List all the people in your life that you talk to about your personal and professional problems. Create two columns, right? And then I'll talk about the science and I'll say, okay, now circle the people in those two lists who don't just let you vent, but do both of these things for you. It's always a minority of those mm-hmm. individuals those are the people you want to talk to when it comes to your chatter, not just anyone because they can actually make it worse. So so th- there you go. That's the Ethan Cross personal set of tools for managing chatter. One thing I've experienced over the years in dealing with where negative self-talk or or just this chatter kind of comes up is 
in peer groups where sometimes an unhelpful narrative can get cemented because it's just simply validated as opposed to challenged. Like if we're exposed to somebody venting, how can we be helpful to them beyond merely validating, uh, especially if we know maybe there's more than one side of the story or there there must be more than one side of the story? Well, you know, th- that's where part two of these conversations come into play. So, so you know, so basically the, this two-part about listening, validating, empathizing, but then working through, that actually scaffolds onto something that is very fundamental about human beings, that we have social and emotional needs on the one hand and cognitive needs on the other. And what that means is, first and foremost, we need to feel like we're being heard and 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 we're connecting with someone else. But then we also need to work through our problems. We can't just have them float out there in the world. So if someone comes to you with... Um, a problem that a, a narrative, let's say, that's driving a, a harmful reaction that uh, or harmful story that you disagree with, you can still demonstrate that you connect with them as a human being, right? Like um, I've had vi- many difficult conversations with colleagues, students, superiors who I disagree with. Um, first and foremost, I, I I basically establish though that look, I, I recognize that this is how you feel. And it makes sense that you feel this way, given the way you're thinking about it. But now let's think about some alternatives, right? So you're you're connecting with, you're showing that you're on the same page as them, human to human. But then you're saying, all right, well, now let's now that we're in this space where we can speak openly with each other, now let's let's lay it all out and try to work through. Is the way you're thinking about it actually? Does that map on to reality? Is that actually the most productive and healthy healthiest way? Of, of managing the situation. I mean, I do this with my kids. I'm going to whisper a little bit because they're actually in the background. You may have seen a few of them and my mother um, behind me in that door. But I'll, I'll do this with my kids all the time. I mean, my, my, my kids, you know, they come home, they feel terrible about things that happened at school. Sometimes, like, they're partly to blame for why they're feeling that way, right? And And, and so first, it's establishing I'm their dad, I love them, I connect with them. And then it's about working through the problem and finding the best solution. I do this with my graduate students. I do with my collaborators. It's it's really a basic process that can be imposed on any kind of conversation, regardless of the domain. Okay, finally, last question. If you were to leave the listener with just one word of advice, what would it be? If you experience chatter... Welcome to the human condition, my friend. Most of us do at times. Don't beat yourself up about it. Educate yourself about the tools and start experimenting. Start figuring out which ones work for you and which ones don't. And implement, implement, implement. All right, Ethan Cross, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. That's it for another episode of the Business Accelerator Podcast. If you're a business owner and your internal dialogue is telling you to find out more about Business Accelerator, you probably should. I'd listen. After all, we help busy but growth-minded small business owners just like you scale yourself and your business so you can win at work and succeed at life. It's what we call the double win. And if you'd like to experience that for yourself, go to businessaccelerator.com. 
And one more thing. Next week, January 31st, is the launch of Megan and Michael's new book, Mind Your Mindset, the science that shows success starts with your thinking. So you're going to want to come back. Next week, we've got a really special show all about the book, all for the launch. Now, I get it. If you can't wait, no worries. Just go to mindyourmindsetbook.com. You can find out how to pre-order it. You can get all the pre-order goodies there, mindyourmindsetbook.com. That's a wrap. We'll be back next week with more conversations to accelerate your business. All right, Ken, do you know what's happening right now? No, I have no idea. <laughs> well, first of all, it's your favorite time of year, finally. It's, yes! We can act, okay, like I give approval for us to actually listen to Christmas music now that Thanksgiving's over. Jingle bells, jingle bells. Yes. Uh, it's our holiday sale here at Full Focus. Oh, And we have better. some really awesome deals going on, especially if for some reason you missed out on our Black Friday deals. This is a great time to get your planners and everything for the new year. And so we have got uh, some awesome deals. So we've got 10% off site-wide. Um, we've got where you can get a free um, Your Best Year Ever vinyl sticker pack. For any new planner subscri subscription that you sign up for. So these are great to put on things like your Stanley mug. Wow, you already put them on yeah. your Stanley mug? And if are you got them, them if you got them on Black Friday, these are different. These are these are gonna be new for the new year. Uh, but they're great for that. You can also put them on your planner, you can put them on your computer, wherever you want them. But they're great. Good. They're great stickers. We're also doing 25% off courses. Let's go. So specifically, we've been talking a lot about our goal setting course. Um, and this is going to be $75 off and you get a free ticket to your best year ever live with your purchase. So you definitely don't. It's huge. like a crazy, crazy, crazy deal. So you don't want to miss out on that. And your favorite thing, which is our certification program we're doing $800 off of it. And this is a fantastic time of year to get in. Um, we are actually going to be doing a beta group for our new digital planner. Yes, it's going to be fantastic. crazy exciting. So anyways, go to fullfocusstore.com now. Shop our holiday sale. Make sure to use the code HOLIDAY10 to get all these deals and more.